Thank you for joining us for another edition of Leap.exe. Today we've got a special guest, Roxanne Kaufman Elliott, who is the president and CEO of ProLoriet, joining us today to talk a little bit about leadership challenges and how the language of leadership can drive some of that transformation. I'm your co-host, Brian Comerford, here in Denver. And I'm Nick Lozano here in DC. And we've got Roxanne on the call. Thank you, gentlemen. It's an absolute delight to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you, and thank you so much for taking the time. We've both had the pleasure of interacting with you in some of the sessions that you've facilitated, and just really appreciate the value that we know you can bring to some of the topics that we'd like to discuss with you today. Why don't you kick us off by giving a little bit about your background and how you came to be doing what you've been doing. Well, I know we only have an hour, so let me see. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't, don't freak out. Just kidding. <laughs> You'll was, only take an hour and 15 minutes. It's okay. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks. Thanks, Nick. Um, <laughs> I actually started my firm, ProLaureate, in 2003 after I had left uh, a, a very substantial, um, successful, and for the most part, incredibly enjoyable career, uh, corporate career. I had worked in a company that actually was a manufacturer of construction products based on some very, very um, uh, sophisticated and highly technical chemicals. They weren't harmful chemicals, so it wasn't about that. But we did, we did a wonderful job, started as a small company, grew it exponentially in a very quick period of time to, to, uh, to about four times its size when I started there. And we were bought out by a very large global firm. While I was working with this organization, it's just interesting to note that I was working with a lot of chemical engineers, structural engineers, construction people, architects, and IT people. <laughs> and, and I was, at least for the first several years after I joined the company, the only woman. So I got to play with all the guys. <laughs> and it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, this was such a learning curve for all of us. It was great. And uh, I made it, it was really the uh, foundation of formation uh, period in my life and in my career, because prior to that, I had worked primarily in nonprofits. So this was my step into the corporate world and how the other half of, of the world lived. So it was very, very exciting, had all kinds of opportunity and learned from it, traveled globally and just had a huge experience in education. But after we were acquired and we were acquired by uh, a behemoth global company, a 65 billion, yes, that's B as in bushels and Brussels sprouts. Uh, <laughs> um, I realized that that was really not an environment in which I would thrive. It was just a little bit too striated for me, too many levels. And what was lost, and this is an observation, not a criticism, but was what, but was, what was lost for me in the experience was the ability to really impact teams, individuals, and the organization, uh, both on a day-to-day -day basis and then at a very big picture, from a very big, big picture point of view. And that's where I have always worked. I love the interaction with other humans. I love developing myself and learning more about who I am and my potential, and more importantly, that of others. So when I left the organization, I came away with with huge lessons that I had learned. And that some of them were extremely good. Some of them were great. 
Some of them were okay. And quite frankly, some of them were really ugly. <laughs> so I took all of that and I threw it into a, into a big uh, thought basket and said, all right, what do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Where do you want to go from here? And that's when I really discovered the beauty and the magic of genuine, authentic leadership and all of the incredible work and study and research and the volumes that have been written in this, this, this unique human capacity and capability. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And I realized that everything I had done in all of my life and my career so far was pointing me in this direction. I just really didn't know it, know it until I had left that position. So um, I studied and I researched for a solid year into all of the areas of leadership that were out there to find that place that really resonated with me and what I wanted to pursue and put my energy into. And that was personal and professional development and strategic thinking and planning. So I co totally reinvented myself, um, got a whole bunch of certificates and, and also um, learning opportunities and degrees in leadership development, organizational development, strategic planning, and the list goes on. But at the core of all of this, was helping other people and organizations to not have to experience the ugly in order to be great, right? Is to see that coming, is to understand it from the inside out so that when external circumstances beyond your control come into the environment of your work or your business, you can go to your internal foundation and strengths individually in your teams and in your organization to manage those for a positive outcome for everyone. So that's how I caught into leadership development. And since then, that was in 2003. So over the last 16 years, um, I have uh, it, that entrepreneurial leap is certainly a leap of faith. <laughs> and I won't tell you in those early years how many times you could have found me in a corner huddled up in the fetal position saying to myself, what in the world have you done? <laughs> but it's all about determination and knowing you're on the right path. So I stayed with it. And now um, I love what I do, I always have, but I'm just in a, just a, such a great place and I'm thankful for it every day with great clients, with working with great organizations, Nick, like when I work with you um, mm -hmm. and some of your other endeavors and just, uh, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see people light up when they begin to see the strength and the, um, wow, the rewards, that leadership, that really developing, understanding and developing leadership within yourself and others can bring you. So that kind of brings us up to today. I've gone through a lot of different iterations of this, but I'm in a place right now I love. I've um, now achieved some master certifications in, in a few areas of leadership, particularly the Leadership Challenge, which is uh, an incredible and enormous body of work for over 40 years, which I can elaborate on as we talk a little bit more. So that's where I am today. Oh, well, that's great. That's a, such an exciting background, Roxanne. And, and I have to say, uh, all of those points of passion that you touched on, I, I think, without putting words in Nick's mouth, um, those are areas that he and I mutually share, and it's it's really ultimately part of why we're doing this today. I love it. How dare you put words in my mouth, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 completely, words, I don't know. <laughs> I completely agree with Brian. That's, that's kind of our whole 
point of, uh, you know, starting this. And I know when bringing you on, you kind of wanted to talk about the language of leadership. And I'm I'm kind of interested what your take on that is in leadership. You know, I know when we think of leadership in general, a lot of people tend to think, you know, when you're you're coming up, you think of leadership more as managing Uh um, and and not the leadership task. So so what is your thought behind this, this language of leadership? Well, first of all, I would I would say that there is a vast difference between leadership and management. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's one of the main points of conversation in all of my coaching and in all of my group work and in all of my consulting work that I do in organizational development. One of the exercises we do when we're in groups or even one-on-one is to uh, get the ever-present flip charts out. <laughs> And on the first one, we talk about what is leadership and we write all of the words and all of the phrases and the characteristics of people that to us speak to leadership. And it's usually things like, well, just think to your, I know that things are running through your minds right now. Uh, Visionary, great communicator, building trust, building teams, decisive, action oriented, results driven, compassionate, empathetic. Um, They walk their talk and so on and so forth. Then we go to another flip chart page and we write the word management. And we talk about that. And what I usually hear uh, when people are talking about management is checking things off the list, uh, learning new computer skills, um, learning how to run a meeting, uh, developing uh, products and programs uh, with teams. And so it becomes very clear that management is tactical, that this is what we do on a day-to-day basis in an operational way. Management actually is derived from the Latin word manus, M-A-N-U-S, which stands for or translates into your hands. So it's hands. So that means it's the things you do with your hands. It's picking up a hammer and a nail and making something. That's management. Leadership is guiding, is leading people, is leading yourself and others to something. So that's the difference. Now, I cap off that conversation by saying, okay, all that being said, what do you think? Is it, is it leadership or is it management that helps a company to fulfill its vision statement? And everybody talks about that, and we bring your vision statement into the conversation. And everyone, 100% at the end of that conversation, will will say, well, Rox, you know what? Leadership is what takes us into our vision. And we need management to get the stuff done. I said, absolutely. So leadership is what is going to take us to, to the highest levels of what we define as success. I have that right. Yes, ma'am, you sure do. Where do you spend most of your time? Oh, boy. <laughs> That when it comes down there, you see the heads fall, the eyes drop, and everybody sighs, and they kind of slump forward and say, 99% of our time, or somewhere along there, between 95 and 95, 99% of our time is spent managing stuff. Right. But that's only a couple of people, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, my, so, so if we break this down, and this is what leadership is, we, we need to understand it and learn it in digestible chunks, in small bits and pieces. So what I recommend for everyone 
when you think when you haven't had any leadership background or you don't really know even what it is, you just know it when you see it, you don't really know what it is, is to start understanding it in little bits. And if you can just walk away uh, from your first exposure to it with maybe 5% of a better understanding, and then over the course of six months, increase your your time and your energy in the in that leadership flip chart by 10%. Can you imagine what kind of impact you're going to have? How that's going to change the environment? Oh my gosh. Every single little bit, every one of those percentage points is taking you up another level and another level and another level of bringing more cohesion, more communication, collaboration, cooperation, results to every team and every individual in your organization. And when you can cross-pollinate that between the various departments in the organization, hint, hint, IT, (laughs) communications, the different levels, operations, finance, human resources, and then you start taking it vertically through the organization from the C-suite to the SVPs, to the VPs, to the directors, to the managers, to the supervisors, to the independent uh, contributors, what have you got? You've got just an incredible leadership culture starting to form and starting to take place. But the key to the success in doing it is in little bits, little bits all along the way. So you ask me what... um, what I meant when I said the language of leadership. Well, I think you're probably starting to get some idea of the way I talk and the things that I talk about. But in my career, um, throughout my career, and in dealing with highly technical people, which has always fallen into, I work a lot in the healthcare industry, doctors and nurses. I work with engineers and architects to this day. A lot of professional services people in finance and insurance. So these are highly, highly technically skilled people. And for the majority of them, an IT too, they don't, they have never received, they, we don't get this kind of understanding and learning in college or mm-hmm. in, in any of the work that we learn our skills and knowledge around our areas of expertise. There is a language of leadership that is universal, that crosses across, that crosses through all of these different areas of expertise. And I never really understood this until... Um, I was pretty quickly moved into an executive position in my corporate career and was on the executive committee and the board of this, this firm um, of, to which I belonged. And I was asked to start um, developing a strategy for the organization going forward that would create more open and transparent communication between every department in the organization. And so I did it. <laughs> it is a big ask. I know. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of fun, though. It was really kind of fun. And as I, I did analysis first, I did some research and went through and interviewed people and looked at all the different departments to figure out who was already doing stuff pretty well in terms of, you know, communicating and getting along and who really wasn't. And I found that the weakest link, may I be blunt? No, go go ahead. Be blunt. Go for it. Okay. I'm going to be really blunt. Everybody just bear with me here. It was our IT people. With all the chemistry and everything else that was going on, it was, and this was during during a time when technology was taking over everything, all the systems, all the financial systems. You know, we were changing over to 
uh, client management systems. We were changing over our financial reporting in certain ways. We were also starting to put everything into computers in terms of the formulations and all of the research that we were doing. And what we were finding was there was a huge communication gap. Those of us who were not in uh, the technical areas of all of this this um, computer work and technology work that needed to take place to streamline our processes, we could not understand one word of what those folks were saying. And they had no clue what we were talking about either. You mean you haven't tried turning it on and off again? (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny because our our CFO at the time was having a terrible, he couldn't get his computer to come on. All the, the whole IT crew in there trying to figure it out. And I walked in and I whispered to one guy, plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> See, you've already got an honorary IT badge. Thank you so much. And I'm such a dinosaur when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> so, so I had to figure out a way to create a language that could cross all barriers, that could cross all nations, if you will, within this organization. And so I started talking about leadership and what that meant. And because that doesn't have, it has its own language, but it's universal and everybody can understand it. So if I say to a group of 100 100 people in a room and they're from every different department in the company, and I say, give me a show of hands if you understand what I mean when I say, walk your talk. How many hands go up? 100. Do what you say you will do, 100 hands. Keep your promises, 100 hands. And so it goes. So you start thinking about what is leadership? It's um, having an idea of what you want to accomplish. You have a vision of what you want to accomplish. It can be in a meeting, what you want to accomplish in a meeting, a vision for that, or a new product development, or a a new market opportunity, or um, maybe a new acquisition, whatever it may be. That vision is critical to driving. You have to know where you're going or you're, you're not gonna end up anywhere, right? Being able to talk to other people about that vision in a way that they also understand it, in a way that it connects to their vision of why they are involved with the company in the first place, why they do their job, When you can make that connection between that larger vision and the individual's, every individual's vision, you find an intersection point. The vision becomes shared and you energize. You bring enthusiasm and you bring motivation and engagement to the entire team to make it happen because everybody has a stake in it. So you are sharing those visions. It creates inspiration. In the leadership challenge work that I do, I I found this body of work just a few years after I had started my own company. And I just absolutely thought my head was going to explode because I found some people who thought the way I did, and I didn't think anybody else did, or at least I hadn't found them yet. And (laughs) these two fellas who have created this body of work, Jim Cousas and Barry Posner, uh, started this over 40 years ago when they were in college together or teaching in college. And they have since taken it to a global movement. It's, uh, I think it's at the very top of um, the most used, most well-known and incorporated into uh, corporations, academia, 
uh, all kinds of nonprofits, and it goes on and on and on. So I started working with with this body of material, and what's unique about it is is that it is research based. So the research shows us that when organizations adopt this language of leadership and they really understand it and they're able to roll it out throughout their culture, that certain things happen. For instance, at high levels of engagement of five specific areas that Jim and Barry have have found to be core in leadership in every organization, level with, with the um, leaders of an organization at high frequency in those uh, leadership behaviors, employee engagement goes to 95.8%. When those same leaders are at the lowest end of the spectrum in exhibiting those leadership behaviors, employee engagement drops to 4.2%. Hold a gap there. Wow, mull on that for a minute, right? Yeah, I can um, totally see that. I mean, when when I think of, I don't know if you read the book by Tony Shea called Delivering Happiness, the CEO oh, wow. of, of Zappos. Um, and kind of the backstory on him is his his first startup was, um, you know, an advertisement company that he sold to Microsoft. And he said he felt terrible as a leader because as he walked in, they were hiring people so fast, he didn't know who they were. And he decided when he started his next company, he was going to sit on an in on every interview and know every single person who they were. Um, so, I mean, when, when you brought that point up, I, it kind of brought me back to that book. And it, and it seems like, you know, some of the best leaders kind of have that tact and that, uh, that ability to adapt and, and kind of feel out a room. Absolutely. I love that. And I just wrote that down. Like, I will get that book. It sounds awesome. And here's a really cool thing um, about that story and about leadership is this is a learned skill. I mean, all leaders are born for sure, but not all people who are born become leaders. It's a choice. It's an aspiration. You can learn leadership. Now, we have all different kinds of leaders. A lot of times we think about leaders being these very charismatic people that have this huge presence when they walk in the room. Well, sure, a lot of leaders are like that. But I've known some of the quietest, some of the most uh, introverted people in the world to be some of the greatest leaders I've ever known. They, and they, these are people without titles, without car, fancy cars and homes and all that stuff that a lot of times we, we think are the trappings of leadership, it's not. Those are trappings of success as some people define it, which is great, but it's not leadership. Leadership is exactly what you said. It's knowing your people. It's knowing what, they, what matters to them. Vic and I have talked a lot about this, that uh, leadership is, is a role, uh, it's an activity, it's, it's not a position and authority. Exactly right, Ryan, exactly right. So in so back to this language thing. So the the work with the leadership challenge brings us these five tenets of leadership or as we call them exemplary pra- practices. And Jim and Barry in the research they have right now there are over 4 million people globally who have engaged with the leadership challenge in one way or another. There's also a 360 that is developed out of the body of work that they've done. But the five tenets are through all their research they have done over the years, which they continue to do all of the time. These five things keep rising to the top. 
that if we can get our arms around these five things as leaders and learn and live our lives around these, we are going to have more success. We are, our companies will have more success. Our people will have more success and happiness individually and collectively. So let me just, is it okay? Let me just run through those so you can kind of get your head around them and you'll see what I mean. So model the way is all about credibility. Okay, so that's walking your talk, doing what you say you will do. We just mentioned those things. It's so important that we do that because that's the way that how many times have we worked for someone and I have yet to find anybody who hasn't worked for someone who said, hey, we're going to make this happen, this happen and this happen within six months and a year later, nothing's been done. Right. I think we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all been there at some point. Yeah. So when when you're walking your talk and doing what you say you will do, there's a foundation there of values, of core values that we all have. So we need to examine that and say, am I living to my core values? Are my behaviors mirroring my core values? And am I setting the example for others to follow that? So doing what you say you will do, credibility. The second one is inspiring a shared vision. I just gave a story about this, about you know doing it in little bits and it doesn't matter what the vision is about, whether it's the meeting this afternoon that you have to lead or a new product development or whatever it is, figure out what the end result is and reverse engineer it. Pull back from that and say, okay, if that's what we wanna see, how are we going to get there? And then with the, MP, with the people that need to be involved in making that vision a reality, we need to ask them, what's your take on this? Why are you involved in this? What excites you about this? What is your vision? You bring huge value to us accomplishing this vision. How do you see it? Inspiring a shared vision. It brings people together in, in an amazing way, and it allows them to see and to feel uh, really exciting possibilities about what they're doing, being part of innovation, being part of really taking going to that next level. And as I say, these things are universal. It's not about the particular area of expertise we have in skills and abilities. This is the human being element that comes into it. We do this in any area, uh, any area of specialty in which we serve, and it brings people together. So then we challenge the process. That's the third one. By this, we don't mean going in and, you know, shaking everything up and yelling at people and rocking the boat and saying no and slamming your fist. Quite the contrary. This is taking a look at what we're already doing and saying, hmm, does it still work? And is it okay? And is that okay? Or is okay not okay? And how do we want to change this? It's looking in something and saying, maybe this worked very, very well when it was created, a process, a structure, whatever it may be, a product. But the reasons that it was created that way no longer exist, and yet we continue to do it. So let's challenge it. Let's re-engineer it. Let's go back and do something differently. But in order to do that, this brings, it, brings us to the fourth practice, which is um, enabling others to act. We can't, we can't challenge the process and bring people into doing something differently if we don't give them the tools and the knowledge and the skills they need to do it. So we need to make sure that we're giving them the freedom 
to use their expertise and their brilliance in what they're doing, but also give them the tools to do it. And then finally, and this is my absolute favorite, is encourage the heart. So this is about recognizing people for their contributions. And it doesn't have to be a big party or a big deal. It has to be a genuine eye to eye. I'm going to sit down in every interview and look these people in the eye and know who they are and thank them for coming. I'm going to walk down the hall, poke my head in John's office and say, John, you did a phenomenal job on that client call today. Thank you. And I'll again be very blunt. I have some folks sometimes who really push back on this and say, Rox, why do I have to give somebody a pat on the back for doing them a job I pay them to do, right? (laughs) (laughs) And my response would be, well, why wouldn't you? How many people are you paying to do a job that aren't doing it? (laughs) Wouldn't you want to encourage the ones who are? Because by golly, you do that and they're just going to want to do more for you. It creates loyalty and kind of a corporate kind of love, you know, kind of that that thing where you just you want to do it for the you want to take one for the team. You want to get into the team and make it happen. So that's language. That's language of leadership. No, I I I, I like that a lot. And especially your last point, it, it kind of brings me to, um, I don't know if you read this book, it's called Extreme Ownership, How Navy SEALs Lead and Win. Um, it's by Jocko, yes, Jocko Willink and Lee yeah. yeah, and what, one of the things on it is, you know, um, you know, you as a leader, all all the problems are kind of your fault because you're, you're the leader, <laughs> but but um, not, not to dive into that. Um, too far, but one of the things is, is always give your teammates credit for every success and every win. Don't ever take any credit yourself. Okay. And I mean, that that totally, when I, when I look at here, the, the items that you have, um, it seems to me like the great leaders kind of always do that. They're, they're kind of in the shadows and they never take any of the successes or the wins and they'll take all the blames. Yeah. They'll say, you know, my, my team enabled us to do this. You know, this happened because, you know, Joe got this done. Not, and, you know, if anything yeah. bad happened, you know, it, it's my fault as a leader. Um, you know, I should have, I should have been watching what was going on. I should have trained them better, but you know, next time we're, we're gonna, we're gonna get this done. We're going to complete this. This won't happen again. What you're talking about, I'm actually getting that, that book for my son for his birthday because he wants to be a Navy SEAL. And uh, yeah, and I've been actually coaching him off and on over the years in leadership development, and he's an amazing young man. So that's pretty cool. When you're talking about this book and this author, it also reminds me of Simon Sinek. So if your listeners have not uh, listened to any of his um, any of his TED talks or read any of his books, I strongly encourage that because Simon is all about this. All about. He wrote a book called Leaders Eat Last. You know, same principle that you're talking about, Nick. And, you know, Roxanne, I, I really resonate with a lot of what you said, uh, particularly around, you know, having, uh, you know, that emotional engagement. Uh-huh. I, I want to ask you a question about some strategies for how you interact with others who are in leadership roles in your organization who absolutely don't share that view and who are... <laughs> most problematic types of people and yet for whatever reason it's uh it's just the stump you've got to fly around they're part of the team um and and how do you bring harmony to uh a a team that is challenged uh with someone who wouldn't really uh, align themselves with so much of what 
Got it. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you very much for that, Brian. I would, I approach those things um, when I can in two ways. So it depends upon the dynamics of the team and what's going on. Usually in my work, I would say almost always, almost always, I will have a relationship um, with the person who is not in that camp <laughs> of encouraging others and is usually leading a team. And I'm also very engaged with a team so itself. So I see the dynamics that are happening and going back and, back and forth. When I am in that position where I have a relationship, because leadership is all about relationships, you've got to have that, that connection to other people in order to talk about these things and help them to, to embrace it as well. So, and I've actually had this, this happen in somewhat recently with a key leader in an organization who is exactly that person. And in conversations with, with the person, my questions to them have been, how do you like to be recognized? Do you like to be recognized? Because I'll tell you, the truth is, bless you, everybody does. Everybody does. In one way or another, they like to be recognized. Now, for some people, it may be just um, winning, winning the day, whatever that means to them, and to have uh, a trusted advisor or a family member to say, hey, you know, nice work, or hey, that's cool. Maybe that's enough for them, but it is encouragement. I've never met a soul in my life that did not need encouragement in one way or another. The key is, how do they like it? How do they accept it? When you can get someone to talk about that and say, uh, you know, I'm not about this warm, fuzzy stuff. I'm not going to do it. It doesn't do any good. That's okay. But leaders put others first. That's what leaders do. Leaders step up first. Leaders take the heat for it. Leaders give away the, the, the as, as Nick was saying, give away the honors and the accolades but they also put others first. So if you have a leader, quote unquote, in a team or an organization who will not encourage their team, the question is how much of a leader are they really? So you have that conversation with them, of course, in a very heartful way, ironically, <laughs> to say, are you getting as much out of your team as you would like? Do you think everybody's putting 100% into this? Do you think everybody is engaged? No, of course not, they're not. What do you think would help them be engaged? I don't know. They just need to do their job or whatever it may be. Well, you know what? No, it's a little bit more than that. What would happen if they felt engaged and if they felt encouraged by you and other people in the team to keep trying, even when they fail to keep trying, to keep going forward? It doesn't take more than, you know what? Good try. Or, hey, we, we really moved the needle on this one. It can be in whatever whatever words you want to use, just so it's it's recognizing others for their contribution. It doesn't have to be a big deal, right? So if you really get, if you, if you do not have a relationship with the, um, with a non-encouraging leader, then you have the relationship with a team, then it's really working with them and coaching with them to support each other and to understand and appreciate the leader for who he or she is and just take what they can get from that. But know that the strength and the encouragement comes from within the, st within the team and from within themselves. 
So a lot of this motivation, and I talk about this a lot, external motivation and internal motivation. If you've got the internal motivation around succeeding in your definition of that, um, the external motivation, it's wonderful to have. If it isn't there, you'll find a way to make it happen anyway. Does that help? Does that make, is that okay? Does that kind of answer your question? Oh, I love it. That's, right. uh, yeah, I, I, I imagine that uh, everyone who's in a leadership role or even just in a contributor role at some phase in their career trajectory is going to run into uh, a set of challenges with personalities like that. So no question about it. Hugely valuable, Roxanne. Thank you. You bet. And Roxanne, I just want to ask you a question. You know, we earlier you touched on that, you know, people always bring up that the leaders are born, not made. And, and I was just wondering if you could, you know, elaborate on a little bit. I, I'm kind of in the camp that, you know, people have certain traits that kind of help them uh, be leaders. You know, maybe they're charismatic or, you know, they're a little more diplomatic. They can play the politics pretty well. Um, but, I, but I feel like those things help, but I feel like almost anybody can be a leader if they put the time in to kind of learn um, some of the skills that, that they need. It's just like anything else. Like when us in technology, we need to learn a new technology environment. You kind of go out, out of your way to learn whatever this new technology is. Um, so I, I was wondering kind of more if you could elaborate more on your thoughts of, you know, if leaders are born or made. Absolutely. When I ask that question uh, in sessions, Nick, I always, it's a real mixed bag. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, it's both. Some will say, no, you're born. Some will say, no, you're absolutely made. It's really all of that. It really is all of that. I think one of the biggest things to remember, though, when we're asking this question is people, when they get to, to the stage of their life where they have cognitive thought, they're really beginning to think about some of these things, they, don't ask, they, they aren't asking themselves the question because they don't know how to say, what is leadership? Right. It's it's one of those things that kind of shows up. You see leaders. Now, some people will have a propensity to to look at other people and watch their their behaviors and their attitudes and and thoughts and so forth and say, gee, I want to be like that person. And so they start emulating that person. And when they do that, they start developing their own kind of leadership skills. But they're not doing it really intentionally because they haven't asked that question yet. So everyone is born, I believe. This is my, Roxanne's belief. This doesn't come out of any leadership book. I believe that every single human being that is born has the potential to be a leader. Some, we all have different strands of DNA. We all have different gene pools going on. We all have all kinds of stuff different going on. Some of us are introverts. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us are, are big and tall and handsome and beautiful. And others are us, of us are really short and elf-like people. <laughs> Or, or whatever. You know, we all, we're all different. We're all unique. But I believe that um, we all have that potential. It's just a matter of discovering it and making a choice about that. But first understanding that we ha everybody has that potential and we can develop it. It isn't something that you are given. I'm going to make you the CEO of this company and you're a leader. No, you're not. You're a CEO. That does not make you a leader. What makes you a leader is what you have learned. And this is where the research backs all. I mean, th this what people think of as, as leadership is the embodiment 
of, of the leadership challenge and the other work that I do. So when, when you say this to people, everyone is a leader and they're at the, they're the lowest person on the totem pole and brand new in an organization. They say, no, I'm not, I'm not a leader. How can I be a leader? You know, I don't even have a title yet. I'm just an associate, whatever. And I work a front line or I, I work a, an assembly line. My question to them would be, do you interact with anybody else that you work with? Sure. Do you take pride in your job? Sure. What about that is not leadership? It's all, it's awareness of what leadership is. We are all leaders. I will never forget, this was a few years ago, my husband and I were sitting down and watching the Olympics and a commercial came on from Dick's Sporting Goods. And it was this very powerful and dramatic, um, visually uh, stimulating uh, commercial. And it had Olympic athletes uh, in different in different situations, boxing, diving, fighting, running, um, all fencing, doing all these things. And this beautiful narrator in the background talking about the the rare and unique elements of the earth: magnesium, copper, oxygen, carbon, and gold. And that every single human being has 0.2 milligrams of gold in our body. This is, this is fact. This is scientific fact. And the majority of that lies within our heart. 0.2 milligrams of gold in every single human's heart. We all have hearts of gold. And at the end of the commercial, they have this woman with a shot put swinging it around. And, and the narrator says, we all have 0.2 milligrams of gold in our hearts. We just need the courage to dig it out. And that, to me, is what leadership is, is finding that gold and bringing it out. You can be a person born, and we've, we see this every day. We see so many leaders that have been born with so many challenges, physically, mentally, in, in so many different ways, and yet they rise to the highest levels of leadership. So it's, it's about who we are, how we think about that, and we're influenced tremendously as we grow up. And getting to a point where we recognize those good and not so good influences and in how we overcome them. I trade in some of my workout for some shop put. <laughs> you can do shop put, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I'm going to find that gold, dang it. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> <laughs> Roxanne, I, I really appreciate everything that you just walked us through there. I want to ask you another question that I think factors into um, some of that uh, correlation between you know leaders, whether or not they're they're born or made, and you know I think at, at various points along um, our leadership practice, uh, we find ourselves sort of struggling with the confidence in who we mm. find. And put into a position to act as uh, as leaders. And I know I've heard you speak a little bit before around habits of thought, and I wonder if there's some tidbits that you could share with us today that um, that are, are uh, corollaries to that that are that are some helpful hints. Oh boy, did you pick a good one? Habits of thought. Oh golly, <laughs> I love to talk about this. So yes, absolutely. Here's what happens. 
And this is, again, based on research by various and sundry um, behavioral psychologists. What we, what we have found is that as we grow up, now this is just from being born till we're five years old, we're surrounded by a lot of influences. And those influences want to keep us safe and away from harm. They want to guide us. They want to help us. And in doing that, a lot of good is done. But also what happens is we start forming our fundamental values and beliefs so that by the time we are five years old, 98% of our values and beliefs are already formed and we don't even know it. So if we have, if we've been told enough times, uh, and again, you know, for all of us parents that are out there, we do this to protect our children. So this is not a this is not a criticism of that. We need to do that, it, but it's understanding the impact of it in the longer run is also very helpful because we can relay that to our children as well as they get older. But when you say enough times, um, don't touch the stove, you'll get burned. Don't write on the wall, you'll be punished. Don't walk on the grass, you'll you'll kill the seeds. Um, for goodness sakes, don't talk to strangers. I mean, all this has good stuff behind it, right? We want to protect our kids. We want to protect our, our, our young humans growing up. And that's great. But by the time that we get into our late teenage years and our early 20s, we forget about those constant reminders of what we shouldn't do, who we can't be, what we, what we shouldn't be. Because some of that stuff is you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're, we're not, we don't have enough money. A lot of limiting things come out so that by the time we get to that age, late teens, early 20s, these things are no longer don't touch the stove, you'll get burned. It turns into internal dialogues that have become habits of thought that we don't even know we're thinking that are telling us, oh, don't try that. You're going to get hurt. You're not smart enough to go after that degree. You know that it's going to be painful if you try and you're going to fail. Don't reach out to those people uh, because they're not going to want to talk to you. Why would they talk to you? So we end up in this conundrum of, well, I kind of think I'm okay, but I'm not really sure because I don't trust myself. I don't have the confidence to put myself out there because I'm going to be harmed in some way. So by the time we're this age, what happens is um, about 73% of our brain is conditioned negatively to developing ourselves, to growing, to becoming, to taking a chance, to risking. And, and the other 23% is the positive stuff. But the good thing is, and this is where being made comes in. Okay, we were born, we got to this stage, now what? If we can be aware of our own habits of thought that have been created through our upbringing. And again, out of our protection, out of our, out of love for us and all of that, but we get to this place. And if we can become aware that our biggest obstacle is the person looking back at us in the mirror every day, we got to get out of our own way. We got to break those habits of thought. And we do that by starting to take a deep dive and studying who am I really, what are my values? Who am I? What am I capable of doing? Not what everybody else has told me I should do or what I can't do. Let me figure this out on my own and I know I'm going to be able to do it. And so 
You start that sort of thing. You start with some affirmations and you start having different thoughts, which create positive habits of thought. Yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I'll give it a try. Why not? Let's let's give it a go. Yeah, habits of thought get in your way all the time. Roxanne, I, I, I like all of that. And Brian's going to be tired of probably hearing me say this because I've probably said it every podcast we had. <laughs> but um, I feel like, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, we've kind of been told, surely, like everything you went through, like this is hot, don't do that, this can happen, like all these negative things. And, and we get afraid of failure. Um, oh, we're always gosh. thinking of the negative consequences that can yeah. happen with it. You know, like, like for us, we're going to start this podcast. What if it sounds terrible? What if it doesn't help? I mean, what if nobody listens to it? And we, we don't stop to go back and think, well, like, what if we can help five people or 10 people? Is that hour of time we put into this worth it? I mean, to me, that's worth it. You know, most people kind of stop and think about the negative things and they don't, you know, put the time to think of what the good things that could come out of it. If, if, you know, everything winds up being successful, we kind of tend to stick on the, the, you know, the pessimistic side. We always default to that, Nick. We always go there. I'm going to offer you um, a suggestion that when you or colleagues or you're working with folks and you're going to that negative place and saying, you know, we're never going to be able to do this. This is never going to happen. We're not, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. Stop, take a breath, pause and ask, what would that mean? What would that look like? Even if you're right and it is impossible, let's for a moment, let's for a moment put that over there in the corner and just ask ourselves, what if it were possible? What if we could do it? What would that look like? And what would happen then? It's self-awareness, self-awareness, self-awareness. Just check yourself all the time. Am I, am I being in the moment? Am I being... Um, a good listener and not just hearing what I want you to say, really listening and hearing what you are saying and making sure that I'm understanding that. And we were just talking um, just right before we started recording again, that how many times do you go to a restaurant and see people out to dinner with each other? Everyone's immersed in their own electronic device. We're losing our connection. Our human relationships are still the foundation of everything. All of the technology is fabulous and it's incredible. And I know artificial intelligence is supposed to be able to work on its own and make decisions and do all of that. But I don't know, guys, it's, uh, you know, it's the human being that drives commerce and it drives families and it drives everything. So I don't know. Don't, if that's don't, let, uh, don't let all the AI hype fool you, Roxanne. <laughs> so, Good. I, I don't know how Brian feels about it, but uh, don't let it all fool you. It's, it's pretty basic right now. You know, um, I think we, we so, can. Yeah barely have cars that don't run into anything. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Sherry Turkle has a great book called Alone Together that uh, talks quite a bit about that exact topic. And and on books, I know that you've uh, referenced uh, the leadership, uh, uh, sorry, leadership challenge a couple of times. Um, But I want to put you on the spot and ask you about your book, Never Wear Red. You beat me to it, Brian. I was going to ask that question. <laughs> uh, you're very sweet to bring that up. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, this is a book that shares part of my journey. Uh, it was it was one of those must-do things. I just needed to get some stuff out there. The title refers to what one of those negative things I was told all of my life growing up. I'm a redhead. I'm a ginger, right? 
And I was told several times a day, every day of my life, I swear until I left home, never to wear red, never wear red, never, ever, ever wear it. And I was told why, because it looks terrible and you look terrible in it and nobody's going to take you seriously. And the list went on and on and on. Well, you know, I always thought that was rolling off my back until I was going through this, this transition really from my corporate life into my entrepreneurial seizure. <laughs> and I started thinking about this book and what I wanted to say. And it was really the, the beginning of the conversation for me to a broader audience of how we, we need to let go of all of these messages that we've been sent and that we've not even knowingly embraced that are holding us back from our full potential from being who we who we really can be and being as big and as impactful as we can. And I, that's not ha having anything to do with ego. So the book walks you through um, my philosophy of leadership, really. And that's owning yourself, uh, discovering your own authenticity and, and, and genuineness and leading with that everywhere you go. And we do that in three ways. We do it with three eyes. I call it eye to the power of three. So imagine a small eye with a little three up in the right-hand corner, right? It's like pot. Eye to the power of three. So here are the three nuggets, the three keys to happiness and success from Roxanne Land. <laughs> the first thing you need to do is to find your inspiration. Inspire. That's the first eye. Dig really deep. What is in your heart? What is your purpose? What are you here to do? I believe that we all have that. We just need to get out of all of the stuff, all the filters, all the things that we've learned to think and learn to say and learn to do and say, wait a minute, who am I really? And what is my purpose here? And why am I doing this? Do I love it? How can I impact other people with this? Once you figure that out, and that's no easy task, by the way, because there's a lot of filters built in. You got to be willing to do the work, right? So I share stories about that and examples of, you know, my epic failures along the way and <laughs> some epic moments of realization and so forth. I mean, it's a real journey, guys. I'm telling you, it's amazing. But once you get there, great. Okay, that's wonderful. You have your aha moment. You can sing Nirvana from the mountaintops and then get back down to earth because here's what you got to do. You got to put a strategy around that. You have to ignite that in order to make it worth anything. You can't, you can write it out and write a book or do whatever, but unless you do something with it, it's just going to be there and you're going to know it and it's not going to have any impact. So you have to put a strategy together. So this is the middle section of the book where I lay out um, a strategic process that I have designed with a lot of help from a lot of other people and a lot of other learnings that, that I have gathered over the years into this process. Um, and that's what the book is really based on. So igniting it is about knowing your vision, creating a vision, a mission, breaking that down into very time-bound critical buckets that need to be completed, putting, putting goals, very specific goals around that action steps, which takes you to, and again, I put in stories around that, how to do it. It's a how-to manual, really. And then uh, the final section is impact. Now, you have your vision, you have a strategy, you got to act on it. You must execute. Otherwise, it just sits there on a shelf. 
So now you have to really put your feet to the fire and get some people around you that can help hold you hold them there and go out and do it. So then I pull in a lot of other resources into the book and allow you to see what all, just a, a small snippet of what's out there. Um, I talk about the leadership challenge. I talk about so many different things that we can do and people that you can resource and programs that you can look at to start exploring this and to find out what resonates with you and to take you, take you forward. Talk about the languages of love or in corporate speak. It's, it's the language of connection it's the language of recognition. Um, we talk about principles of le- all kinds of things. So that's really the basis of the book. And, and the wrap up of it is that we all live or should be living by our core values, need to understand what those are. And mine, and I will share this with you, it's a four letter word that makes a lot of people creep out. They get really scared when I use this word, um, but it's love, L-O-V-E. It's just It's love of helping, love of self, love of others, love of the beautiful um, organizations that people create and the way that they impact lives in such positive ways and really impact world, the world and communities and individuals and families. And where do we all fit in that scheme of things? What is our unique gift that we bring? And let's go out and give that away because the more you give it away, the more you get back. So Never Wear Red is a leadership love story, uh, hopefully helping people to get out from behind um, who they think they are and start taking a journey into who they really are to become the leader they're meant to be. said, like someone who is truly authentic, Roxanne, and I think the fact that you've got a subtitle that I've never seen on any other type of leadership book ever, (laughs) I think further reinforces that. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll just summarize by saying so much of what you've shared with us today about the language of leadership, what I'm hearing from you, it has to do with really deriving um, a lot of those leadership characteristics through community, through interaction, through relationships with others. And ultimately, it all comes back in your lap. It's work that has to be done by you, the individual, uh, in as much as you working in conflicts with others. Well said, sir. And it all, it always starts with you. It starts with you first. You got to lead yourself before you can lead anybody else. Yeah. Start with your values. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. I'll just say one more thing. You are so well-spoken and your voice is so soothing. If you don't have an audiobook version of Never Wear Red, you got to go out and create one because it's just a pleasure just even listening to you. And if uh, our listeners are looking for you, uh, how can they find you? Uh, Social media or website or anything? Sure. Yep. They can go to uh, Facebook. Just type in Pro Laureate. You'll go to my business Facebook. Um, You can go to LinkedIn. Same thing. It's Pro Laureate. You'll find me there. You can also go to the website, which will be redone this summer. Uh, It's still very relevant. It just needs to be updated, and I'm going for a much fresher look to it. It's been sitting there for a little while. I might need some help with that, too. If you know anybody, you might. (laughs) Um, So that's that's, uh, prolaureate.com, and that's P-R-O-L-A-U-R-E-A-T-E. And you can find me directly at rkaufman at prolaureate.com. Perfect. And we'll go ahead and we'll make sure we put all, all your contact information in the show notes so that our listeners can uh, 
find it there as well. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thank you for everything, Roxanne. Oh, it's been a blast. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thank you. I hope to talk to you both again soon. Have a great weekend. You too.